going to study in these next 30 days a series of devotionals on revival written down by Henry Blackbee and Claude King. And it's a wonderful uh, resource to understand revival and to see that revival happens in our land. And so, uh, just some commentaries about the beginning, which is the preface of this book, uh, spiritual awakening. It's happening all over the world, especially in areas like South America. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins be wiped out. And so, what are some things that happen when revival breaks through? Barns and taverns, uh, locked businesses. How many times in the 30, 40 years that I've ministered in Brazil, we're able to buy the whole bar and break the bottles down the street. I don't know if you remember those days. Uh, uh, also, crime decreased in the community. Uh, also, Christian churches begin to grow at a very fast rate of speed. For instance, in Brazil... Uh, there's more than a million churches in the state of Rio de Janeiro. Uh, today, as we look at the politics, you see uh, <clears throat> the president of Brazil, which is a Christian man, having the support of the Catholic Church, having the support of uh, the people of Brazil, and being rejected by the media. And that's when people get in the streets. If the people in Brazil get on the street, in the streets and begin to protest uh, about what's been happening with the judiciary or, or the Supreme Court, uh, things begin. And so it's happening right now uh, in one of the largest countries in Latin America. You have uh, uh, the carnival in Brazil uh, has been replaced because of pandemic. And so we didn't have the carnival they used to have due to the pandemic. But it's been dying <clears throat> for the last 10 years as I follow cities that have carnival. And uh, Belo Horizonte, for instance, the capital of Minas, don't have carnival anymore. And so these are the signs. Now, it began in 1904 when uh, in Wales and... Uh, a man, young man called uh, Evan Roberts began to preach in Wales. And his sermon had a four-point basic message. You must put away unconfessed sins. Now, unconfessed sins, according to, uh, according to Evan Roberts, is things that we hide in ourselves because we don't want to face it. Doubtful habits. Just the idea of, of getting involved in habits that are not healthy to your Christian life. And then you must obey the Spirit promptly. He preached that. Obey the Holy Spirit. And then confessing Christ publicly. Of course, the Word says if you confess, He is just in favor to forgive your sins and cleanse you. Uh, and so, uh, confession is essential in revival. And of course, uh, it continues the cycle of sin and discipline and restoration. People that serve the Lord don't serve anymore. 
returning to Him. And, uh, and uh, the God's pattern for revival and spiritual awakening. And, uh, and He speaks about God is on a mission to redeem the lost world. And He is on a mission to redeem the lost world. And then revival. Now revival is not just another meeting three days here and three days there. But revival is that each of us will live again. Revival is a time when spiritual life and vitality are restored. And so I'm looking for revival in my personal life. That's what I need to do after the death of my wife to be able to focus on the will of God and hit hard and keep on striving to make sure that I don't waste my time uh, with my own problems. And then, of course, uh, uh, we come into session number two. And the session number two is an interesting session because it speaks about uh, God's judgment on Christians that seem to have a lifestyle that doesn't match their call, a lifestyle that has hidden things in it, a lifestyle that, that defies the Holy Spirit. And so, and so we begin there. And uh, let's see if we can... Uh, it's simply saying that revival also implies your relationship with God. And so we're going to study here the types of God's judgments because a lot of people are under judgment from the Lord. And, and, and they are not producing, they are not creating, they are not moving forward. And they think they can have the cake and eat it too. And so, and so uh, uh, Mr. Blackaby begins to deal with, with what is it when God moves to judge. <clears throat> Hebrews 12.10 says this, God disciplined us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Now notice that discipline here is uh, compared in parallel to holiness. In other words, without discipline in your life, God's discipline in your life, you won't be able to understand the holiness of God. I remember a time in my life when we were very poor as a ministry. I remember that I uh, took my clothing for my children out of a, a Columbia Theological Seminary thrift store, bottom floor in Atlanta, Georgia. I remember I used to go there every month to pick up some clothing. We used duct tapes on kids' tennis shoes. I remember. But I believe that those ten years that I struggled financially so much did something wonderful for me because I, I'm not in love with money. I don't have this affinity that I need to have money. If I can pay the bills that are essential, I'm happy. My clothing the children give me during Christmas. And so I'm sort of a, uh, a detached from that. Suddenly, uh, you'll find out that, uh, that uh, it's not a priority in my ministry. So it was a good, a, good, a good judgment. It was a good discipline that I went through. And uh, God blessed me. Now, yeah. Two types of God's judgment. They divide in two categories. The first one is eternal judgment. What separates God's people to heaven and others to hell. It is God's judgment. 
But then there's temporal judgments. These are corrections and punishments that occur in a lifetime. God has to correct you or, or to trim you down because uh, he, he sees an abnormality in your life that cannot be changed and you're not, not willing to change. Someday soon, Jesus is going to return and, uh, and, and, and take us to eternity. At the end of history, God will judge all, all people. We will all stand before God's judgment. It's in Romans uh, chapter, chapter 14, verse 10. It says this, For we all, are, all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. And so there will be a time of, of, of surrender. It's not for you to decide not to have it, but it will be. The judgment at the end of time will be eternal. Our destiny in heaven or hell is going to settle God separated the sheep from the goats. And those who not belong to him in Matthew twenty five, thirty one. And so in this in this beginning session, we're dealing not only with the eternal judgment, uh, though our responses to God today will affect the outcome of those judgments. In other words, the way you respond to this message today can affect the judgment of God upon your life. So uh, the primary focus now is God's temporal or earthly judgments that occur in a lifetime. These disciplines and judgments are intended to correct us uh, 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 or to punish us. Sometimes God has to, uh, to, to do to, to you as He does to a child. Only after that fails to bring change to do more severe punishment and His wrath comes. And I tell you, a lot of people are under the wrath of God thinking that they are simply just uh, having a hard time with life. But they're in the wrath of God because of what they have decided to do. They accept the cross, but they don't want to carry it. They accept the love of God and the blessings of God, but they don't want to live it. They resist and refuse for a longer period of time. Because God is loving and patient. His correction almost always comes first. So a loving God will correct your life. If, if you are going the wrong way. Remember, uh, remember the beginning of the Bible study that I read to you. God's disciplined us for our own good that we may share in His holiness. And so, uh, I'm talking about that. His judgments are always just, fair and right. He will never give us greater punishment than we deserve. In other words, just like a child. When a child becomes uh, uh, bitter and angry, they begin to do things that are wrong. And so we take their TV time or we put them to bed early or we simply just uh, tell them to face the wall for five minutes, uh, whatever. Uh, but there are times when you have to, to uh, slap the boom boom of that child a couple of times with gentle hands to let her know that, and raise your voice more than your hand. And you've got to say, you can't do this. Well, God does that to us. By the way, if you haven't been corrected by God, you, you have to question your relationship with Him. So temporal 
discipline here. I divided into, we divided into, Mr. Hack, uh, Blackaby divides into two sessions. The first is remedial, and the second is final. It is interesting how he thinks about this, because remedial means is discipline or judgment intended to correct us and point us back to the right relationship with God. In other words, the correction is, the, is, is fit properly and, 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 and physically and spiritually with the whole purpose of bringing you back to God. Final judgment or punishment uh, that ends life is useless because of a prolonged rebellion and severe sin. You know, uh, people that have this type of thing, that have this type of problem, are people most of the time, uh, severe sin here, it refers to laughing, ridiculing, putting down the Holy Spirit of God. As an evangelist into a, a conference like ours, that I served for 42 years, I remember situations of God's punishment uh, uh, taking uh, severe action toward people who, who overdid and belittled and accused and made, made a pastor a 40-year service to be kicked out of the church without annuity and pension because they were speaking about the Holy Spirit. And so, and so there is final judgment. In other words, don't you mess with the Holy Spirit and expect to somehow get a nice dinner. Now, God intends us, intends remedial judgment uh, to correct us. That's the purpose of remedial. Final judgment is when you, you have done the wrong thing most of your life and going to church at the same time. They are, they are to guide us back to right relationship with God, with Him. Final judgment comes when God display His wrath. He sometimes destroys and removes life as a punishment. I don't want to get into the biblical examples, but He has done that. I've seen it in my personal life. So when final judgment comes, no opportunity to repent anymore. No repentance is left. Is left. Final judgment usually comes after prolonged periods of sin without repentance. Now, can you can you can you live a life uh, uh, that has a sin in it, and you constantly battling that sin? You know, Paul says, "He who practices righteousness is right." Practices over here simply means you 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 try it. You, 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 you miss the mark, but you keep on trying it. I'm talking about people who are not trying anymore. Who raise hell and continue to raise hell against the kingdom, expecting that they can get away with it. And you have to understand final judgment this way, because God is a, is, is a loving God. But it simply comes to what God uses a final judgment because the nature of the sin is so great. He uses final judgment at other times because the sin could have been a greater influence of others if he didn't deal with it severely. For instance, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I think, uh, verse 17. And it's an interesting story. 1 Corinthians uh, 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about the church in Corinth who brought fried chicken to eat along with communion. Some were taking communion, others are having supper. And when you approach a sacrament of the Lord, disrespectfully, laughable, ridiculing, belittling that sacrament, we have two, right? Communion and baptism with water. Two, two, two sacraments. When you, when you treat these sacraments as if it's trash, you are dealing with the hand of God. Now, they had divisions in the church and showed little respect or concern for one another. Paul said, that is why many among you are weak and sick. And, the, and, and a number of you have fallen asleep. asleep. So, so, taking the sacraments lightly. Now, but if we judge ourselves, we will not come to under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will know, not be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians 11.30 The sick and the weak represent remedial judgment. That's a great reality uh, that I have uh, experienced too and I remember in my life. Uh, people that were sick because they couldn't get along with others. People that were depressed because they lived their lives in their own and they didn't relate to others. People that were unhappy, unfulfilled and un- uneasy because they simply just treated brothers and sisters in a way to, to separate and put him, put him up. So those who had fallen asleep here were dead. That's final judgment. Where the opportunity for repentance is passed. Let us look at another example here uh, 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 on the temporal judgment. It's in Acts chapter 5, uh, uh, verse 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife, full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it in the apostles' feet. So, with his full wife's knowledge, Ananias took back part of the money for himself. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you lie to the Holy Spirit and have kept part for yourself in... Uh, uh, some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied. You have not lied just to humans, beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And greater fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? She said, Yes, that's the price. Peter said to her, 
How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Why, why was that final judgment? Because the church lived on offerings. The church lived on the move of the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel throughout the whole world. These are holy days in which tithe money wasn't really practiced. I'm talking about the whole amount, the full amount. If God gave you a house and you have two houses, you take one house and sell it and submit to God. When you get into the sanctuary, the place where they're meeting, you give half of that and keep the other half. Well, that, that, God sold the house. God sent the buyer. God orchestrated the sale. God needed that money. Missionaries are moving every single day throughout Asia uh, and Cappadocia and, and Macedonia area and all those churches that, that, that Paul uh, opened up and suddenly they don't have the money they need. Why? Because... Because you begin to steal from God, rob God. So, a church was young. Church in Jerusalem wouldn't be the mother church for all the churches that would come after it. God knew that the wicked influence of deceit could corrupt the entire redemptive work of the gospel. That's what I just said. He intended for the church. It was intended for the church. Because of sin and Ananias and Sapphira could have been such a broad and lasting influence. God executed a righteous and final judgment on them. God is sovereign. And He can carry, He can do this as He chooses. And when you serve the Lord, be careful that you don't hide in your heart things that can finally come against you. For we all deserve death because of our sin. However, God more frequently uses remedial judgment than final judgment. And I'd say remedial judgment is much, much more, 90%, I would say. Why? Because remedial judgment that comes from God does the trick. People repent. People change. I, I look at my life, and I see when God begins to uh, 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 deal with my life, that, that he, he, he was remedially trying to affect my direction, my purpose. And I suffered with that a lot because I was a hard-headed seminary graduate full of pride and anger and bitterness and I didn't want to do nothing but become a bishop. But the Lord began to deal with me. And before too long, I decided that the best thing to do is to be a janitor. And so I became a janitor. My first job in the church was a janitor. I'm so glad that I changed my life because for becoming a bishop. And so... 1 Corinthians 5, let's take a look. The immortal men at Corinth experienced God's corrective discipline as recommended by Paul and carried out by the church. They were kind to him. You remember in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 5, uh, they were kind to this man. They, they, they used restraint. Paul asked the church to forgive the man, comfort him, reaffirm their love for him. The church correction by Paul was also effective. Second Corinthians seven eight. The man actually came back and changed his life. 
in this study of revival, in dealing with God's remedial and discipline and judgment, God desires to correct us so we can return to Him. He's not correcting you so you can leave Him. You've got to examine your life. Listen, you have to look at what's happened to you in last year and two years ago and put it on a piece of paper and look heavily hard on that piece of paper and see what God is doing. And sometimes you just turn against yourself because you don't want to see the hand of God. You want to, you want to make sure that you understand and approve of His behavior. Well, you can't do that. The word judgment at the bottom of this uh, uh, diagram that I can't show you here simply shows that God is, God's love is greater. Amen? And so, I want to ask you now, as we come to just five minutes of a prayer together, I want you to think right now of how did God correct you? How did He actually did it? Now that you know that you thought about it, Would you repeat after me this prayer? Say, Heavenly Father, I surrender to your judgments, Lord. Remedial judgments. Father, forgive me for my sin, which can be exercised by a final judgment. But God, give me a second chance. I repent of my sin. I ask you, Lord, to deal with me in the way I deal with others. If my behavior toward others is now a loving behavior, a kind behavior, I'm going to experience remedial judgment. And you know, God, that uh, I am not able to see and to see what it is that's going to happen because I'm totally covered up. My mind is, is covered. My eyes are shut. And I'm going through this experience that has become very difficult. So by your Spirit, Lord, I ask you that you forgive the sin that caused the remedial judgment. Whatever the sin is, by omission, by commission, a sin of rejection, a sin of rebellion, a sin of unforgiveness, a sin of bitterness, resentment, and anger. God, I, I have to be delivered from these things because your call to my life has to do with dealing and working with people. And God, if I can't deal with people, with persons, God, I'm not able to fulfill the call that you've given me no matter what kind of place. So Lord, by your mercy... Extend grace to me. I pray, God, that uh, your corrective discipline will, ask, will actually change my life. God, I pray that God will give me the gift of discernment so I can understand what is happening in people's lives before placing judgment. I ask you, Lord, that as I begin to work with people, 
I'll be able to discern their need and discern God's corrective hand upon them and deal with it effectively with a humble prayer so they not be offended or put down. I pray, Lord Jesus, today for this next month as we deal with the word revival. Come, Holy Spirit of God. Bless us abundantly. Minister to us, Lord. We pray, God, that you will deal with us abundantly. Come, Holy Spirit. Have mercy upon us. Come, Holy Spirit. Deliver us today, God, from the lie that says, I have no problem, I have no sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we repent of our sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of God. Amen. He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see His mighty hand delivering His people from the evil in this land. The wounded and the broken hearted lift their voice in prayer. As they feel the touch of His amazing grace. Oh, God's mercy 